All right, everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back. This is MedTech Talk Podcast, episode 132. Our guest today is Dennis War, CEO of Nuvera. Dennis, of course, is a familiar face to anyone who's attended the MedTech conference. Dennis led the conference in the past and is still a valuable member of our advisory board, and he will be there on May 29th and May 30th this year. But I've got the great pleasure seeing Dennis uh, about two weeks earlier than that at our Respiratory Innovation Summit, which is a fairly new event that we created. It's uh, actually its second event, and it's happening on May 17th in Dallas, just at the start of the annual meeting of the American Thoracic Society. Dennis was part of our inaugural RIS last year. And once again, we're happy to have Nuvera presenting its story at our Respiratory Innovation Summit. It'll be one of 25 companies, a mix of uh, digital health, AI, med tech, and biopharma companies that'll be uh, telling their stories about developing new therapies for respiratory disease. If you haven't attended one of our innovation summits, either RIS the Aesthetics Innovation Summit, or our gold standard, the Ophthalmology Innovation Summits, they're, they're really a treat. You've got an opportunity to see early stage presentations, but also penetrating conversations about the opportunities and challenges facing startups. So I advise you to take a look. Take a look at uh, our website, attendris.com. We'll have the agenda up there. I'll get into the, uh, the interventional pulmonology program a little later in this podcast, because Dennis and I will talk a bit about uh, RIS and the opportunities in interventional pulmonology which is clearly a surging specialty. And then we'll get into Nevera and what uh, what Dennis sees as the future of this uh, really fascinating company in, in a really hot sector. So again, join us at the Respiratory Innovation Summit on May 17th. Check it out. Go to attendris.com. And I'll have a code for you later on in the podcast that you can use to save yourself some money. And of course, don't forget to go to the medtechconference.com website if you haven't yet registered for the MedTech Conference. We've got a great day planned out. I'll get some more details on that to you later in the podcast. But uh, go to medtechconference.com, register, use the MedTech Talk code on the medtechconference.com registration website, and you'll save yourself $200. Now let's get into this conversation with Dennis War of Novera. Dennis Moore, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. So by now, you know that you are one of the uh, chosen few. You've, you, we've selected Novera to present at the uh, upcoming Respiratory Innovation Summit on May 17th in Dallas. How does it feel, Dennis? This is two years in a row. Oh, looking forward to it. I think it's a nice venue. I was really uh, happy when you started this uh, specialty conference for uh, uh, pulmonology. So you experienced the six-minute limit presentation that we uh, put upon our uh, presenting companies, require them to tell their stories quickly. I think because it's a specialized conference, you can get rid of a lot of those slides that show uh, the market opportunity and sort of explain the problem because everyone in the room knows what that particular problem is. How difficult is it to uh, to hone your message to get it down to uh, to six minutes? It was an interesting challenge because in this in this business of uh, presenting at conferences, the typical even banker conferences with which cram presentations down, they commonly give you fifteen to twenty minutes. So going all the way down to to single digits is uh, um, you know was an interesting exercise. Um, it took a little bit of work to carve it down, but I can tell you when I was at the conference last year, I, my presentation was, I don't know, but probably two thirds of the way through the agenda. So I had an opportunity to watch the other companies do theirs and it really worked. 
in the six or seven minutes that people spoke, you just got a great you got a great snapshot of what they were doing and what they were trying uh, and what they were trying to accomplish. And it was just it, w- it was just clean. And as you said a minute ago, it didn't have that. Everybody basically cut out of their presentations the stuff that that everybody already was familiar with in the field in general. And uh, and I feel like uh, in my presentation, uh, um, it worked really well for me. It felt more like I was talking to other people that were all experts in the area as opposed to uh, uh, having to construct the the, con- the, the, the presentation to to make sure you made sense to people who are listening to pulmonary related presentations for the first time. Good, good. And and, and you did a great job. I watched the video the other day and you were, uh, I think at five minutes and 59 seconds. So uh, you held to your part of the bargain. So you're, you're a true pro. <laughs> right. Um, yep. So what do you think about the, well, first of all, any tips for, uh, for newcomers, we're going to have 25 presenting companies, at the uh, upcoming RIS, a lot of new first timers. Anything uh, that you would tell uh, a young Dennis War what to do and how to get your presentation down? Yeah, I would just say, you know, is just focus on the things that are the four or five things that you think are the most important parts of your story and just tell those and not try and be comprehensive. That's my advice. Uh, and, you know, and I think really, if you if you look at, you know, if you go to con- if you go and listen to the big, long presentations and you walk out of the room, you know, it's it's a home run. If you get somebody who can remember four or five things about your talk, you know, so the goal is just just only tell them the four or five things and cut out all the other camouflage. All right. Well, that's sound advice for anyone really presenting anywhere at any conference. And uh, Dennis does a great job of that. As I mentioned in the podcast, he's uh, really Hits all the high points. And uh, for anyone who's interested in, in hearing a lot of high points about the pulmonology space and about interventional pulmonology in particular, I do uh, advise you to go to the attendris.com website. That's where we have our agenda for the Respiratory Innovation Summit. We have the day broken up into different spotlights, one of which will be focused on interventional pulmonology. These spotlights will run a little over an hour, and they include a, a market overview or an overview by a physician in the space. In this case, uh, Dr. Maman Bohadi of Duke University will be giving an overview of interventional pulmonology. We'll have a panel discussion with Dr. Wahadi will be on with uh, Dr. Matt Kinsey of the University of Vermont, Jason Pesterfield of Aaron Medical Technologies, Baron Rose of Pulmonics, and we'll talk a bit about pulmonics later in the podcast, and of course, Dennis. And that'll be moderated by Dr. Eric Folk of MGH. So it's a, it's a great spot for someone who's interested in hearing the high points and, and the challenges, again, facing interventional pulmonology. You're not trying to be boosters here, just trying to present a clear and concise story. So I hope you're uh, interested in joining us. If you do go to attend RIS, you see the website, see the agenda, and you're interested in attending, you can use your MedTech talk code there, and you'll actually save $300 off the registration price. So consider coming along. We would love to see you in Dallas. Now let's get back into this conversation. We'll talk a bit more with Dennis about interventional pulmonology and how it compares to interventional cardiology, another specialty that he's intimately familiar with. Obviously, it's a huge unmet need. The big difference is, uh, to me, the accurate comparison is that uh, uh, pulmonology today is probably where cardiology was 
just prior to the introduction of the angioplasty balloon. <laughs> you know, up until that time, cardiology was, um, you know, physicians did cardiac catheterizations, they put in pacemaker wires, they put in pacemakers, they did diagnostic work that, that would lead to, to, to uh, um, diagnoses for which then a thoracic surgeon or a cardiovascular surgeon was necessary, you know, to do the bypass operation or whatever. But up until the angioplasty balloon, cardiology uh, in the in the late in the late eighties and early nineties didn't have that big therapeutic impact product, and that's right where I, I think pulmonology is. I mean, interventional pulmonology is right now. Uh, the the only thing they're missing is really for one of their therapeutic interventional devices um, to, uh, to turn into a big market success. And I actually think that there's a number of candidates out there that are right on the threshold of that. And when that happens, um, I think you'll really see the field explode. And how do things like J&J's acquisition of Oris, which is in the, in the pulmonary space, how does that impact this, uh, this field do you i know it's not i know you're doing copd you're not doing lung cancer but you're all in the same part of the body did that give you a jolt do you feel like that gave the field a jolt it's helpful it's certainly helpful uh and and but it's to me it's still not it's still not the big breakthrough it's good for building the base but it's not the big breakthrough because I put Aura still in the category that it is more of a diagnostic ancillary type of therapy, but not the primary therapeutic uh, um, uh, product in its own right. So I still think it's a little short of the breakthrough that's really needed, you know, which is something that uh, um, can be done. And you can change the, 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 as a result of that procedure itself, change the long-term traje trajectory, you know, of the patient's uh, clinical outcome. Um, so uh, I think we're still waiting for that. Uh, and we're still waiting to see that, that market break. Are there any players in particular you're, you're watching and, and, and sure. hoping that they're the ones who will provide that breakthrough? Sure. Yeah. You know, you know, obviously we, we'd like to think that, that we're one of them, you know, in a few years that we might get there if our pivotal trial uh, re reduplicates our results from our phase 2B uh, uh, trial. However, but, you know, the one I'm really watching right now is Pulmonics, you know, who has U.S. approval and they're going mm -hmm. commercial in the U.S. and they have a nice business outside the U.S. And, you know, I'm watching that their treatment, you know, their, you know, treatment for emphysema. Uh, I think that's, you know, that that to me is the one you really want to watch right now. But there are others as well. All right. So I hope you'll join us at the Respiratory Innovation Summit. Go to attend RIS for more information. And again, if you register, use the code MedTechTalk and you can save yourself $300. Now let's talk more about Nuvera. Nuvera closed on a $79 million Series E earlier this year. It was led by U.S. venture partners with Endeavor Vision, Keeming Venture Partners, Lightstone Ventures, and the Richard King Mellon Foundation were all uh, joining the round. And all of Nuvera's existing investors participated as well, including ATV, Morgan Thaler, Split Rock Partners, Venture, I'm sorry, Versant Ventures and Vertex Venture Holdings, as well as Wyndham Venture Partners. So quite a quite a long syndicate. We'll get into the total amount of dollars being raised by Novera and what that means. And the company will be getting to a point where uh, where the stakes are getting higher. So let's hear from Dennis about uh, what it took to put this syndicate together and to raise this capital. 
We had finished our, our you know, phase 2B uh, clinical trial, you know, and I always like to point out that many times in the medical device industry, companies will try and go from a phase 1 feasibility trial and jump right to their pivotal trial. We had decided that instead of doing that, we wanted to understand our product better. And so we did a sophisticated phase two program that had a phase 2A trial and a phase 2B trial. The two, phase 2B trial was randomized, double blind, sham controlled, multi-center trial. Uh, it was done at the highest level, you know, of, of, uh, you know, you know, of clinical, clinical trial, um, research. And we got a really strong clinical signal. And so that, uh, and, and so we, we, we powered our financing. It was a series E financing, you know, the, uh, uh, off of the results of that study. It was unusual, I think, for a medical device company to have randomized double blind sham controlled trial already out there prior to raising money for your pivotal study. And I think that's why we were able to raise a large round of financing because, uh, our, Pivotal study was, you know, there, there is no such thing as a 100% de-risk pivotal trial, but it probably was about as de-risk, you know, as you could hope to get it. And, and, uh, uh, and so the investors had the confidence to finance um, the pivotal trial, not just to clinical trial data availability, but they wanted to finance the company all the way to to U.S. approval, and that's why the size of the financing grew. Um, uh, we we had projected that it would take us about fifty million dollars to get to U.S. data, but as but as you know, once you get your data and then you submit your PMA, it can be a year or a year and a half from the time of PMA submission to you know to actually get FDA approval. But our investors, our new investors, we were fortunate enough to to round up a really strong syndicate, uh, decided that that they didn't want the company to face um, the challenge of having to go out and raise another round of financing immediately as the data came in. Uh, and so they said, hey, let's let's uh, just finance uh, um, all the way to U.S. approval. And that's why the round grew from 50 to 79. Well, is there any concern about, that sounds kind of stupid, but is there any concern about taking too much money? I mean, did you want to keep it low or, or were you happy that they were willing to uh, to place that big a bet on, on Nuvera? <laughs> you know, uh, um, yeah, it was, um, you know, it was, uh, um, it was a consideration for sure. But, uh, but, the, but the, you know, I guess the adage is uh, money in the bank is probably better than, than, the theoretical ability to raise money. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, that's that's where we wound up. <laughs> many different ways of saying that. So, how does that change the the profile of the of the company? I, w- I want to get into the syndicate in a second because I thought it was interesting. But uh, in in looking at your past companies, I believe uh, Velocimed, I think it raised forty five million. Lutonix had raised thirty five million. This is all according to PitchBook. Nuvera is up to about $150 million. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, that's that's the point where we used to ask, well, is that, that – it reminds me of the, the discussion maybe 10 or 15 years ago when you, the argument was if you're raising that much money, it's going to be hard to realize a return because the, the acquisitions aren't as big. In your 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 calculus, is are the is the potential for an acquisition that big to justify 
this much capital. And I'm guessing that is your argument. Or are you looking for, you know, could you've never taken a company public? Do you want to take a company public? Is that where Nuvera may be headed? Well, I, you know, I, I think that that that's how we look at it. We, you know, to us, we don't we don't think we can ever be certain that there will be a uh, an acquisition. You know, and the reason is the reason is, is that the large strategics, for the most part, don't have developed, you know, pulmonary divisions, you know, where it's easy for them to make an acquisition, drop it in. And, the, you know, the whole sales force, the whole distribution commercialization piece is not, you know, it's not already a well-oiled machine in the big companies. And so, and so I think that that would, that, that makes it more of a challenge uh, to, to, to plan on an M&A in the future where we, we think that the big companies are going to want to have a much more mature company, you know, before that type of thing would happen. So, so we are building the company from the perspective of the fact that when we, when we get to the, to the point of U.S. approval, that we would have the option of both either, um, um, uh, you know, going public, you know, or continuing to finance the company at that point where we're looking at the fact that, uh, um, uh, you know, we, this is not one of the deals, get the trial done and somebody will buy you kind of attitude. And I think that's probably part of the reason why, you know, why the investors, um, this in this syndicate that we put together had an interest in taking the company all the way to U.S. approval because um, because that's where you'll you know be ready you know to enter the market in the U.S., which is something that would probably be absolutely essential you know if you were going to consider the the IPO track. So to my earlier question about who what might be that breakthrough company, you're really. Putting your money or your investors' money where your mouth is, and, and suggesting Nuvera might be that company that you want to be the one that that breaks through. I, I think the you know the big. I mean, it is business, and the big success will come from something that can uh, be a big market opportunity with lots of patients. You know, meaningfully change their outcome and have you know large revenue potential. I mean, that's what it's going to take. You know, and so. Uh, um, uh, that's, that's how we're building the company. You know, I, you know, you know, I think that, that, uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a, a small ball game. You know, this is, this is, uh, um, uh, kind of everything that, that a lot of your equity investors look at as something, you know, don't touch it. It's number one, it's a PMA, it's a medical device. Um, um, I, there's no reimbursement in place and you're going into a area where the market has never been validated. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, other than that, there, you know, other than that, there's no challenges. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a slam dunk. <laughs> All right. Well, clearly there are no slam dunks in MedTech, but we'll hear about uh, why Dennis is excited about this syndicate and how he uh, considered crossovers and corporate investors in this next segment. But before we continue the Nuvera story. I did want to remind you that we'd love to see you at the MedTech Conference. It's happening on May 29th and May 30th in Minneapolis. If you go to medtechconference.com, if you haven't registered yet, please use your MedTech Talk code and you'll save some money off of the still discounted price. So go check it out. It's going to be a day filled with interesting conversations. We'll have Ashley McAvoy from j and I'm sure we'll talk about the Oris acquisition. 
I have the opportunity to interview Kevin Lobo of Stryker. I'm excited about that. Lots of great panels and panelists. So go to medtechconference.com to check it out. Now let's get back into this conversation with Dennis War of Nuvera. We talk to crossovers, you know, and, and, and in general, crossovers like, you know, like the story. I think that uh, um, I, I think that uh, the difference here is that still this this company not having completed its pivotal trial is still a little early, you know, and, you know, a little early for the crossover investors. You know, so it really is a more traditional. It, it's a large syndicate, but it is it's definitely skewed to, to, the, to the typical venture type of in, investor. You know, now, now the thing I would point out here is that, um, there were three, there were three new venture firms that came into this deal for the first time, you know, which were USVP, Chiming and Endeavor Vision. All three of those, um, you know, venture firms are, you know, had, have fairly recently raised large funds, you know, a large fund, you know, and we were in the front end of their, their syndicate and, and, uh, um, you know, so we were really happy to have, you know, not just one, but three new, um, strong VCs, you know, with, with a lot of, with a lot of, uh, reserve, uh, uh, the financing was structured around the fact that we have, we believe we have the bandwidth to do another round of financing if we needed to, just from our insiders. Now, we, I, I do think, however, if the, if the Airflow 3 trial, uh, is successful and we, have U.S. approval, I think that at that point, I think it's it's likely that our current venture syndicate could easily be supplemented by by interested crossover investors. Did you have any corporate interest? Uh, not really. No, I mean there. I mean there were. Uh, I mean certainly no corporate interest for M and A. You know, I think there. You know, I think you could characterize there's some corporate interest for you know you know relative to to investment, but but not not M and A. For investment, is it is that something that you actively avoided because uh, you didn't want to have someone in at this point, or was it just you were going to take money from whomever made the most sense and, and the institutional VCs made the most sense? Yeah, I think it was just make the you know the most sense. I think that you know we we did you know obviously like everybody does, we presented our story you know to you know to relevant strategics. But I, but I, but I, but the, but the, but the way we were looking at that was more from the point of view of, uh, of it's a great way to update them on your story, you know, and having them, you know, know what's going on and be, be, you know, more, more try and get on the radar screen, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I asked earlier about uh, Oris. Uh, I guess my question then, since we're having this conversation about IPOs, maybe you're more emboldened by uh, Silk Road, which as we're having this interview has just gone public and is doing exceptionally well. So how does that make you feel? I think it's great. And I know Erica Rogers, I think she's terrific, you know, uh, you know, CEO. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, and I, uh, you know, I think that's great. I'm, I'm obviously, you know, really rooting for them. Um, um, so that's good. You know, we're, we're also, uh, um, um, you know, here at Nuvera, we're excited about what's happening at Inspire Medical. You know, Inspire Medical is a sleep apnea company, you know, here in Minneapolis that went public a little less than a year ago, you know, and they're doing great, you know, which is an interventional, interventional uh, uh, therapy for sleep apnea. And, 
you know, they've tripled their stock price, you know, over the last year since going public. I think that's a that's a nice success story. And you can definitely argue that that's, you know, interventional pulmonology. You know, sleep apnea is a pulmonary disease. So that that's that's one that's happening right now. And we'll have we'll have Tim Herbert at our uh, MedTech conference on uh, on May 30th. So. Yeah, that's that, that's a significant success story right there. We look at them as a role model. That's great. So, so what do you do going forward? Uh, let's look first at your commercial potential. When we spoke in 2017, I think you were forecasting 2021, perhaps you hope to have FDA approval. Is that still the target? Yeah, that's still the target. Mm-hmm. And what do you do with a company now, you know, with granted anything can happen. So we don't, I'm not, I know you're not saying we're definitely going to go public, but you have to sort of prepare for that. What, what goes into how do you approach running a company differently with that goal as a possibility? Well, we, we, we clearly have to build out the infrastructure, you know, inside the company, you know, to be a commercial entity, you know, and we're starting to do that now. And we'll be doing some, you know, we'll be gradually easing into, you know, what we call market development in Europe, you know, and key, key companies in Europe with you know, more narrowed, um, you know, focus on commercialization and, you know, select European companies while building our infrastructure. We're also uh, um, doing all of the things uh, that will be necessary to gain reimbursement, you know, at a, you know, at a high level. I mean, uh, uh, for example, we're, you know, we're doing all the, the right economic studies. We're prospectively collecting economic data from our pivotal trial to show the, the economic benefits of our product. Uh, um, you know, we're doing patient preference studies to show that the patients, you know, hopefully that it'll come out and it demonstrates that the patients have a high demand for the product. So, so we're, 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 we're putting that together. We're also developing what we expect will be a very large body of published literature. When we get, when we get to the time of going, you know, of going commercial, uh, uh, we will have not one, but two completed randomized double blind sham control trials, uh, it, it, you know, which will be on top of what are, are already, you know, three trials before that completed. So we'll have this big body of literature, hopefully economic data. Uh, and then of course, um, we're starting to build out our marketing, you know, our marketing team now. We recently hired Lisa Rogan, you know, as a senior VP of market development. She has very broad experience in the pulmonary space. And we'll probably also, uh, um, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, strengthen, you know, strengthen our, uh, um, you know, our senior management team as well, you know, in the, uh, you know, in, in, in more of the commercial direction. Terrific. Well, it must be really exciting to be building out a kind of a whole new specialty and being a real, uh, tr- Please the trailblazer in that regard. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh, it's a uh, um, uh, yeah, it's it, it is. Uh, it's you know, we, we, we you know we're very excited about what's going on. There's no high fiving here. We know there's a lot of work to do, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good. Well, you can allow your, yourself one high five because once again, you will be presenting at the Respiratory Innovation <laughs> Summit on May 17. So, Dennis, thanks for joining us and for uh, for giving us an update on Nuvera. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Thanks, Dennis War, for sharing Nevera's story. Thank you, MedTech Talk podcast listeners, for listening, for being part of our community. 
Thanks to the Health AG team for helping me get the podcast out to you, including producer Rafael Escamilla. If you could help us out, please uh, share news about the podcast. If you could share the podcast itself on social media, feel free to tag me on LinkedIn and or Twitter. On Twitter, I am at MedTechTom. You can also uh, reach out to me if you have any comments or questions. My email is tom at healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthag is the producer of this podcast and the MedTech Conference, which is happening on May 29th and May 30th in Minneapolis. If you haven't registered yet, go to MedTechConference.com. Use your MedTech Talk code to save yourself $200, and we'll see you there in Minneapolis. Finally, feel free to check out healthag.com to see uh, the other great podcasts and events we're putting on, including the Respiratory Innovation Summit, which is happening on May 17th in Dallas. You can find out more information about that at attendris.com. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. Tune in next week. We'll have another great tale of innovation for you on the MedTech Talk podcast.